So we're starting a series on Mark, and uh, as we get into this gospel, there's just a few things I want to kind of outline as we get into it. Uh, We're not told who writes this gospel. Uh, It's given uh, the title of Mark, uh, but we're not entirely sure. Uh, But from all accounts through history, uh, most people think Mark wrote this gospel. Who is this Mark? Well, Mark uh, is believed to be the Mark that was with uh, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. Uh, And so he was with them. He was with them in the early days of the church. He saw the church grow uh, and he got to firsthand be discipled and taught by these two great apostles. And so we have Mark writing down this gospel um, and he writes in Rome. Uh, We believe that he writes in uh, Rome, he writes to the church there, uh, towards the end of um, the, the, probably the middle of uh, the 60s, uh, so around 60 CE. Uh, and this is the time of Nero. This is the time of the Emperor Nero. And if you know anything about Nero, uh, he is known for uh, the great fire of Rome. And most people think that he did it, Uh, But to turn the blame elsewhere, he actually pointed the finger at the Christians. And so he started persecuting the Christians. Uh, And he would have garden parties where he would torture and kill Christians. He was so horrific that people actually started feeling sorry for the Christians, despite how much they didn't like them. And so Mark writes the gospel in this context. He writes the gospel at a time when the church, where Christians are beginning to see persecution begin. And when you read Mark, it's really quick. When you read, he doesn't spend a lot of time on details. He has details, but he doesn't spend a lot of time in details. And so it's very quick. It's very straightforward. And what we have is a simple gospel. We have a simple gospel gospel. And so as we go through this, we're going to be reminded of the simple truths, the simple story that is the gospel. It's as though Mark is like that old man who's retired or he's on his deathbed and he just wants to put everything down on paper before it's forgotten. The the church is growing, it's maturing, it's getting to that stage where the apostles are starting to die or be killed. And so Mark wants to get the gospel down on paper so it can be passed on. And so what we're going to see is the core, the heart of the gospel, plain and simple. So as we get into this, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to your word. And we ask that as we hear from Mark, as we hear from you, that we will hear this simple gospel. We pray that we will hear the gospel in a fresh way, in a new way, and for some of us, for the first time. And we pray that we will hear them, but not only hear, but that we would see, that we might taste how good you are in this gospel message that we proclaim. And so, Father, we pray that you will speak to us. Holy Spirit, be with us 
and Lord Jesus be honoured and glorified through your word today. And we pray this all in your name. Amen. Breaking news, COVID's over, vaccine is successful, the virus has been eradicated globally. How would you feel after these 12 months and who knows how much longer, after all this time to suddenly hear that this pandemic is over? Not just for us here, where we've had it really good, but globally, across the world. How would you feel? The beginning of the gospel. To begin something means that it's either starting fresh or it's something new. And for 400 years, if you... you, go into the middle of your, well, not middle of your Bible, but maybe about two-thirds of the way through, there's a gap. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, there is a gap. And for us, it's just one page. It might be a title page that says New Testament. But that page is 400 years of silence. 400 years of silence since God spoke through a prophet. The last prophet to speak there is Malachi. And after him, there are 400 years of silence. And God's people are left without a voice from God. But now, the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. A prophet has appeared. A prophet that has been prophesied and promised to God's people. And we read that summary in verse 2, written by Isaiah and Malachi, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And I wonder where you might be at the moment. Do you find yourself in a season of life where it feels as though you haven't heard from God? Where you haven't heard God speak? Where you haven't felt His presence and your faith just feels dry? Because for 400 years, the people of God were left without His voice. But here, a prophet appears. And that prophet is John. John the Baptist, promised and prophesied by the prophets long ago. And here's the thing, the beginning of the gospel is not Jesus, it is the prophet John. It is John who heralds, who goes before Jesus, and the beginning of the gospel is John. And he has been prophesied about, he has been promised 
by God for his people. And what we see here is the fulfillment of that promise. The words of the prophets said that God will send a messenger ahead who will prepare the way. And what will he do? He will prepare the way for the Lord. And so we see this, right? In verse 4 on, we see the fulfillment of this. John appears in the wilderness, just as the voice calling out in the wilderness. And he prepares the way how? By preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And so people flock to him. They come to him. They confess their sin. And they're baptized. And furthermore, in verse 6, we're told that he wore clothing of camel's hair. He wore leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And... This image, as strange as it is to us, is it's the picture of a prophet. We read about this in of Elijah. In the beginning of 2 Kings, we read that there was a man who had a garment of hair and had a leather belt around his waist, and his name was Elijah. And so John comes as Elijah to proclaim the good news. Now, your Bibles might say gospel, it might say good news, but what is this? What is this gospel? What is this good news? Now, for the Jews, for the people of God, this was the promise of God's new kingdom, his rule. And we read of this in Isaiah 52, verse 7 How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And so for the Israelite, for the Jewish person, they are looking forward to the good news of God's kingdom, where God will reign. But Mark here is also writing to the Greeks. And when the Greeks hear this word gospel, they think of something different. They think of the emperor. They think of him winning battles. That is gospel. His birth is gospel. When he comes of age, that is gospel. When he ascends to the throne, that is gospel. But as I mentioned before... The current emperor, when Mark writes this, is probably Nero, the emperor Nero. And he was not good news. It may be gospel, but it was not good news. And so here we have two sides of this gospel. The promise that was given to the people of God, that he would come and that he would bring peace that he would bring salvation and that he would establish his kingdom. But on the other hand, we also have this picture that the gospel may not necessarily be good news depending on where you stand. And we're going to see that play out in a little bit. But here we have the gospel that John has come to prepare the way. And he is doing that. He's preparing the way for the people of God for his coming, for his kingdom, for God's king to take 
the throne. And how does he do that? Through baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And so John is this herald. He is a messenger that announces the coming of the king. He's like, for those of you who are Marvel fans, he's the silver surfer who announces the coming of Galactus. Now, that's not good news. That's bad news. But that is gospel. The proclamation that here is a a being who will consume the world. Or maybe you think of Aladdin and we have the genie of the lamp putting on a show, coming into Agrabah. Prince Ali, he heralds the coming of this prince. Or maybe you think of the old courts in castles and palaces where you would have the herald who would announce the the king or queen entering the throne room. And so here we have John coming out into the wilderness, proclaiming a voice in the wilderness, here comes the king. He is preparing the way. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sin. He is the prophet that has been promised. And so what we see here is that John prepares the way. And what's important for us to see is that he is the one that God has promised. God will send the prophet Elijah. We read in Malachi, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. John is Elijah. We're meant to see this picture and this connection. That here, John, appearing in the wilderness, fulfills the words of the prophet. He looks and dresses like Elijah. And when the people see this, when we see this, we are meant to see that God is working. God is moving After 400 years of silence, God is now speaking. God is acting in the midst of history. And he has started with his prophet, John. And so, despite all this though, despite that here is the great prophet who will prepare the way for the Lord to come, what does John say in verse 7? After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Yes, John is the prophet who will prepare the way for the Lord, but that is his job. His job is to prepare the way and then to step aside because someone greater was coming. So here we have John, who speaks after 400 years of silence, to fulfill the promises that God has made. And I, I, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been on a road trip that goes on for some distance, inevitably you hear the question, are we there yet? And here we are 2,000 years later after the, the birth, life, death and resurrection of Jesus and we might be thinking, are we there yet? 
Where is God's kingdom? Where is this promised reign that he is, that we have here in the scriptures? Where is that? Where is God? In the midst of this pandemic, we, we ask, when will it end? Why aren't we there yet? But see, what we have here is a reminder that God is still in control. God is still working in history. For 400 years, he was silent, but that didn't mean he was inactive or that he wasn't working. No, he was preparing the way that we might have the beginning of the gospel at this time. And John appears in that moment in history to prepare the way for Jesus. And what the original readers of this needed to hear was that God is still at work. And we need to hear that too. God made a promise. He made a covenant with his people. And he will keep that covenant. He will keep that promise. And he will bring about his plan and his purposes in his time. The problem is we are bound by time and we are so impatient. Yet a thousand years in the sight of the Lord is like a day that has just gone by. Or a watch in the night. Psalm 90 verse 4. And so what we have here in Mark showing us that John is the promised one who would prepare the way for the Lord is a reminder that God is still at work, that God will work, that he will keep his promise. And so that should feed our faith. It should feed our patience. It should feed our trust. God holds time in his hands and he will bring about his plans and his purposes in his time. Not our plans, not our purposes, not our time. No, he will bring about his purposes, his plans in his time. And maybe the time now in the midst of this pandemic is that God will use this time to prepare his church, to prepare this world, to prepare you to hear the gospel in a fresh way. Just as John prepared the way for the coming of the Messiah, maybe this season that you find yourself in, or any season that you find yourself in, is a time where God wants to prepare you for the coming of his Messiah, for the Messiah to step into your world, to speak, to be heard, and to change the direction of life. And so maybe you've heard the gospel message multiple times, repeatedly. But do you need to hear it afresh? To be reminded that the God that we read of day after day, week after week, is still active, is still speaking, and calls us to respond. Are we ready to hear and to respond John came to prepare the way for the Messiah, for Jesus. And as John speaks, he says that this Jesus, the Lord that he is preparing the way for, is greater than he is. 
But we're also told that John baptizes with water. And the Lord will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And we read in the following verses about the baptism of Jesus. We read about his testing in the wilderness. And it's easy to gloss over this because for some of us, we've heard this multiple times before. Why would Jesus need to be baptized? Why does he go into the wilderness to be tested and tempted? And there's a couple of things that I want to kind of unpack here. I want to first start with the baptism. In the baptism of Jesus, we're not given a huge amount of detail. I don't think Mark wants us to get caught up in the details. Uh, that's not his agenda. But what he does tell us is important. Jesus comes to be baptized by John. And as he is baptized, he comes out of the water. And what does he see? He sees heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And it would be easy to picture this picturesque image of Jesus in the Jordan River being baptized and the clouds parting and the sun shining and this dove descending on him. It would be easy to just have this beautiful picture of that. But there's something more going on here. Let me take you back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Genesis is the story of creation. And baptism, we'll unpack this more later, but baptism is a sign of new life, new birth. It is an act of new creation. And what we see in the baptism of Jesus is the Spirit hovering over the waters of the Jordan River. And He is declaring something new. The beginning of the Gospel. The good news about Jesus, the Messiah. The Spirit comes on Jesus and declares something new is about to begin. But likewise, we have a voice that speaks out of heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Let me take you back to Genesis again. Because throughout the creation, at various points, God looks at his creation and he saw that it was good. God evaluated his creation. He saw that it was good. But on the sixth day, what did he do? He created people. He created man and woman. And creating people on the sixth day, what does God say? Verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. God evaluated the pinnacle, the climax of his creation. And he didn't say it was good. He said it was very good. And as Jesus comes out of the water and the Spirit descends on him, declaring the new creation that begins in Jesus, he also evaluates what he sees and what does he say? 
you are my son. You are the climax. You are the pinnacle of this new creation. You are the Adam, the new Adam. And I see this. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. It's a magnificent picture to try and grasp. That here in these few verses of the baptism of Jesus, we have something new. A new beginning. A new creation. A new humanity. And as Jesus comes out of the water, he is representative of all people who will come after him. In Romans 5, Paul unpacks the significance of this. That in Adam, the first Adam, he failed. He failed in his relationship with God, in his trust with God, in the trust that was given to him in his rule and care of creation. He failed. And in doing so, brings sin and death into this world. And Paul writes in verse 19 of Romans 5, For just as through the disobedience of the one, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. And chapter 5 of Romans unpacks this and gives us this image. Here is Jesus in the waters of baptism, in this declaration of new creation, a new humanity, a a second Adam who will do what Adam could not. He will trust God. He will perfectly obey God and there will be no sin in him. And he gives us both an example and a model and hope. And so we look to him for hope. But not just here in the baptism, but also in the wilderness. As the Spirit descends on Jesus, it sends him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And again, it would be easy for us to just gloss over this detail. If you read the other Gospels, we have all this extra detail. But we have what Mark has given us. The Spirit sends him out into the wilderness and he is there for 40 days. And I don't know if that recalls anything for you. Because there is also a son of God that is sent out into the wilderness. That son is Israel, the nation of Israel. As you read through the Old Testament and you read about the son of God, it often refers to the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, God's son. And they were rescued from captivity and slavery in Egypt and they were sent out to the promised land. But what should have taken them a brief moment of time took them how long? It took them 40 years Their disobedience and their distrust in God resulted in them being in the wilderness for 40 years. 
and hear Jesus is sent out into the wilderness. And he is there for 40 days being tempted by Satan to reject God, not to trust him, not to obey him, but instead to depend on his own merit and ability. Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted and he comes out. Not tempted, but faithful and proven. Unlike Israel who goes through the wilderness and we only need to read what comes after the the Exodus story to know that they still don't succeed. Even after the 40 years in the wilderness, they still don't fully trust God. And yet here is the Son of God whom the Spirit descends on, who is approved by the Father in heaven sent into the wilderness, tested and proved faithful. Again, what a magnificent picture to behold. That not only do we have in Jesus a new creation, a new Adam that we can discover our humanity, our redeemed humanity, but we also have the Son of God who goes into the wilderness and is faithful, who is tested, but not does not fall into sin. And so here we have the gospel of Jesus. That Jesus is not merely the Son of God who appears and goes to the cross and dies for us. It's not just that. He shows us what life can be like. He models to us. He shows us first by going into the waters of baptism and coming out as a new man, a new creation. Going into the wilderness to be tempted by all of life's temptations and not fall into sin. He gives us hope. He gives us a model. He gives us an example that we can live this new life. We can pursue this new life with hope because Jesus has prepared the way. He has entered into the waters of baptism, gone into the wilderness and shown us it can be done. And all of this to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament. To show that the kingdom of God is not far off. It's not unattainable. But that it is here. Beginning with John. Who proclaims and prepares the way. And Jesus in his actions demonstrating to us what Life, a redeemed life, a renewed life, a recreated life might look like. And this is the simple gospel. That here we have a God who will step into the pages of history. And who will not simply ask of people to be made new. 
to change in their own ability and strength. But that he will be that change. He will initiate that change. He will demonstrate that change. And he will be that change. And this is the gospel. That Jesus is not simply a figure that we look to and go, look at what he has done. But also look at who he is. And who we can be. And so Jesus, having proven himself as the Son of God, who has been approved by God, who has been tested as we are tested in the wilderness, he comes. John is put in prison, verse 14. And Jesus begins his ministry and proclaims the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Believe the gospel. But as I said, this gospel is only good news depending, depending on where you stand. See, John said he will baptize with water, but the one who follows Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, it would be easy for us in the post Jesus' age to think that this baptism is one of repentance, of faith, and it is. But we also need to understand that the expectation of the Holy Spirit was that it would also bring judgment. The promise of the Spirit in the Old Testament is that God will not only give people a new heart, as he says in Jeremiah, but that he will also cleanse and purify his world. And so just as the gospel would be good news or bad news, depending on who is king, here we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit that will either purify and cleanse or bring judgment. And Jesus says the time has come, the gospel, uh, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the gospel. And so how you respond dictates whether this is good news or bad news. So what will you do? How will you respond? This gospel was written to remind the church of the simple gospel. That God has stepped into history, that he has kept his promises, and that he will also act by sending his son who will redeem and renew all that was old, all that had failed, all that was broken. So how do we respond? Well, the first thing is to respond as John and Jesus both call us to respond. To be baptized with repentance for the forgiveness of sin. To repent and believe. What does this baptism mean? Now we think of baptism and we think of dunking someone in water. But baptism is more than that. See, baptism is a sign, it's an 
act, an outward act of an inward reality. And this word baptism, you may have heard, is, means to immerse. If you think of uh, dye-tied clothes, um, it's that immersion in, in dye that reveals beautiful colours and patterns. And what baptism here, the calling of baptism is to be baptised in repentance. To be marked with the colours of repentance. So it's not a one-off. It's not just a, a dunk and, and you bring it out and it's done. It is an ongoing because when you tie-dye a, a shirt or something, you want the color to stay. You don't want it to run. Otherwise, it's lost its effect. And so baptism, while the act of dunking someone in water, immersing someone in water is a, is a one-time act, it is ref, is, it's a sign, it's an act that reflects an inward reality. That inward reality is a, a constant of repentance. It's a daily act of repentance. So baptism is just a sign. It's just a, a marker. But it's an ongoing need for repentance. And the Holy Spirit aids in that. The, the Holy Spirit, should we choose to accept the Lord Jesus... We are immersed in the Holy Spirit and He works to, to transform us, to renew us. To come out of the waters of baptism is to declare a new creation, a new start, a new life. But it's not just one day, it's not just a moment, it's ongoing to be renewed. And so it's not that we are baptized over and over again. No, we have been baptized. For those of us who, who have confessed our sins before the Lord, we are baptized once. But the colors of baptism, the dye of the Holy Spirit remains. And we see that in ongoing repentance. And maybe this is new to you. If this is new, then here we have for you Jesus. Not just a man, but the Son of God who has been promised and prophesied. And a prophet has been sent before him to declare to you that here is Jesus. And likewise, the beginning of the gospel today is not Jesus, but those who proclaim him. Think about that for a moment. Jesus doesn't just appear to people. He is presented to people. There are heralds who announce Jesus, who announce that his kingdom has come, that the time is now. That's us, the church. It's why we continue to exist through history. To be the heralds, to be the messengers of this gospel. The gospel about Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And that's what we do. 
As we go into our week, as we go to school, as we go to work, as we go into our neighborhoods, our communities, to our families, to our friends, we, like John, are voices calling out in the wilderness, voices calling out in the midst of this pandemic, preparing the way for the Lord. Repent and believe. Repent for the forgiveness of your sin. Not just in judgment, but in hope. Because here is Jesus who doesn't just offer us hope, but demonstrates to us that there is hope. Because he recreates, he renews what was old, what was broken, what was fallen. He goes into the waters of baptism to demonstrate to us that there is a new beginning, a new start. That we can hope and trust in him because he won't fall into the temptations of sin as Adam and Israel did. And so how will you respond? Will you repent? Will you continue to repent? Continue to confess your sins before the God who will take them ultimately to the cross and crucify them there to be remembered no more? Will you believe that he is not just the Son of God, not just the Messiah, but he is the new man? That he is the one that we can model our lives on. That we can put our hope in him because he proves that sin can be conquered. Not just in his death and resurrection, but that he was tempted and he was proved faithful. Or maybe you just need to remember that God is still at work. That in the pages of history, in the pages of this pandemic, God is still at work that he will keep his promises, that he will keep his covenant with his people, that he has not forgotten us, he has not forgotten you. That he will continue to speak through the days, months and years ahead. He will continue to speak and proclaim. And he will proclaim through his people the gospel that is Jesus and there we can find life, there we can find hope, not just for today, but for tomorrow, this year, the years to come, and into eternity. And so we have here the beginning of the gospel, declared and prepared by God, Jesus, the Messiah. Are you ready to hear from him? Are you ready to respond to him? Because he offers us a new day, a new life, a renewed life for each and every day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are not silent, that you have given to us these words, this gospel, and you have kept it throughout the ages. 
that in this day we might still proclaim and hear the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And as we hear afresh the gospel, we pray that we might continue to be renewed. If we've heard it for the first time, to consider the claims of Jesus. And consider how we might respond. But we pray that you might indeed baptize us with the Holy Spirit. That we might be immersed. That we might be dyed with the colors of the Spirit. That we might be renewed each day. Reminding us that you will keep your promise. That you will keep your covenant to your people. And that you have not forgotten your world help us to look to jesus who is the new adam the second adam who does not bring sin into the world but life help us to look to him and remind us that sin and death have been conquered and that we might also walk in the way of jesus so help us we pray to remember Remember that you are at work to repent today, tomorrow, and the tomorrows to come and help us to believe. Believe that you are still here, that you are still at work, and that your kingdom is coming. And that we might too announce and herald to the world the gospel that is Jesus. And we pray this all in his name. Amen.